2: And welcome to this week's Squiggly Careers podcast. I'm Helen and I'm joined virtually by my co-host Sarah... Hi, everyone. So this week, we're actually going to be talking about disagreement and conflict at work, but with a particular focus on the virtual world of work and how that maybe affects how we manage our disagreements and how that might cause conflicts to arise in a slightly different way. And as well as Sarah and myself talking about this and sharing the tips from our experiences and our research, we're also going to be hearing in this episode from somebody called Amy Gallo. And Amy is the author of the Harvard Business Review's Guide to Dealing with conflict. And she's also a contributing editor at Harvard Business Review. And I had the opportunity to talk to her just before lockdown. (laughs) Um, And she's a real expert in this space. I'm glad that we can bring some of her insights on how to manage conflict as well. And before we get started, we just want to let you know about a couple of things that we're really excited about that you might be excited about as well. So this week's Ask the Experts episode is with Simon Sinek. And if you're not one of the 40 million people who have watched his TED Talk, he is an author and a speaker who focuses on purpose. And his book, Start With Why, has sold over 1 million copies, which is pretty amazing. And we talked to him about... Purpose at Work and what it means to have purpose in your career and how that can help you. So that's out on Thursday I Want one to listen to. It. It's a short 10-minute episode and it's one of the skills that we think are most important now for people at work and in their careers. And our second bit of exciting news is that we've been nominated for the Best Business Podcast at the British Podcast Awards. Do,
0: do, do. Do,
2: do, do. I feel like if we...
0: I feel like if we were a really good podcast, we'd have a sound effect there. Oh, I but, think yours you know. is
2: fine. I like yours.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's too late now. It's too late to change now. We've just got to
2: stick with what we already do. Our budget sound effects. We're just going to save yeah. save that clip and use it for future announcements. Just exciting times. We obviously we're really passionate about the podcast and the community that's building around it. So hopefully... Hopefully you might want to engage and celebrate some of those things with us as well. But back to this week's topic, back to conflict and disagreeing from a distance. Maybe, Sarah, you can give us a bit of insight into
0: why distance makes a difference uh, in terms of disagreements. Sure. And I think as context and for any new listeners, people will have heard about me talk about this before. But I am somebody who does not enjoy disagreement or conflict, let alone doing it at a distance, which I do think often makes it harder. So I think it's definitely something that probably I can relate to and some of the things that we're going to talk about today I've already found really helpful. There's a professor called Karen Soboljeski and she talks about like why distance makes a difference and the sorts of different distance that does it that exists and she says there are four things where distance can increase conflict. The first is a lack of face-to-face contact. And when we have face-to-face contact, this is how we build empathy. And when we can't see someone in person, things that perhaps can start as a task-related disagreement or dispute are more likely to kind of escalate to relationship conflict and feel more personal because we can't always see how people are responding and reacting to what we're saying. Even if we're on a video conference, we all know it just it isn't quite the same thing as seeing somebody sitting there in front of you. Secondly, a lack of information. So people are more likely to kind of take disagreements personally when we feel a kind of sense of distance, when we perhaps feel like we're kind of not in the loop. Three, people show less restraint sometimes in a virtual environment. And we probably all recognise this. Sometimes when we're not in person, we behave slightly differently. And again, that might make us more likely to be aggressive or perhaps have less empathy than actually if we saw someone in person. And four, virtual teams just might not have a history of working together previously. So you might be working on a new project where you've not worked with those people before. And so it's harder to build trust up with the people that you're working with. So before we hear Helen talk to Amy, who's a real expert in this space. So I can't wait to hear what she's got to say. Um, I'll definitely, this is definitely going to be an episode where I'll be sitting there and jotting notes. We're going to just talk through five kind of top tips that we've got in terms of. Disagreeing generally, but also just disagreeing from a distance, things that we think might be particularly important right now to think about. The first one is recognising the difference between task and relationship disagreement. We've talked already about the importance of relationships and empathy and how much that helps you to navigate your way through Disagreeing or when there perhaps might be conflict. And I think if you recognize that something is about task, is about kind of what's being done, you can often quite quickly resolve those things kind of together. You can sort of say, well, we've got a number of options. People might have different points of view about what the right option is. But as long as there is clear accountability, at some point, somebody makes a decision. And then the kind of critical point is everybody kind of gets behind that decision, whether you felt like it was the right thing or not. And then you can move forward. Someone once gave me a really good piece of advice, which is know what's worth holding on to and know what you can let go. And I think actually for lots of tasks and lots of things that we do day to day at work, there are a number of different decisions we could make. And they could all be the right decision because it's us that make them work. It's the people that make those things work. And there's no there's actually very rarely kind of right answers. And so in tasks, it's much more about moving quickly through those decisions, understanding different points of view, but then collectively getting behind the direction that you you decide to head in i think relationship disagreement takes more time and empathy and i think when you think about how you approach that disagreement some of the other things that we're going to go on to talk about are really important and relationship disagreement i think might look more like it's um maybe you're disagreeing about how you get something done or your kind of way of working it perhaps feels more fundamental in terms of you fundamentally disagree with how you're going to work together on a project that feels very different to going should we do a b or c i
2: also think i'm just thinking if i was to disagree with you and it was more a relationship thing it's almost it's sort of almost coming from a place of judgment isn't it like i don't think what you're doing is the way it should be done so it's I think that feels quite personal and when you look into like the psychology of when people give feedback as well if it feels hard to deliver people can sometimes deliver it really quickly in a way that unintentionally might seem even more judgmental than they intend because they feel awkward about saying this thing and then the person who responds to it might feel quite defensive and you, you can just see where that can just really escalate from something that could have been quite a small thing to something that suddenly becomes a bit personal and maybe you know feels a bit hurtful at the same time. So the second tip that we've got for you is to proactively create feedback opportunities. So if you haven't got like an open door to feedback, all these things can simmer under the surface and come out in sort of mini conflict explosions, which is not what we want. But if you've got the door open to feedback where you're creating some kind of mechanism for people to share maybe what's working well, what would be even better you with your manager or maybe this is happening in a team environment it means that those potential mini explosions can actually be resolved when they're just little sparks so this could be as simple as you know every week you have a what's working well for us as a team what would be even better if it could be you know one to one conversation you know what's worrying you right now or what's keeping you awake at night how could we improve what we're doing as a team it's those sort of questions that you're asking a team and giving them the space to share. I was reading about some different ways that people are doing this. So some people are having like discussion boards because people, if you do it on like a, A zoom call or whatever you're using in your business at the moment then some people might not feel comfortable saying it out loud on camera but if maybe on a friday you say everyone put into the chat one thing that's working well as a team and one thing you think would be even better for how we could work next week then people might feel more comfortable sharing it and i think you've, you've just got to try and find the right way for you and the right way for your team but make the space for that feedback to happen and then make sure that you respond to it and discuss it as a team so that it can be resolved
0: And our third tip is about the language that you use to approach disagreement and the discussions that you have where there perhaps is quite high conflict. Wherever you can, try not to use closed language or language that feels like you are preempting the outcome. So that often sounds a bit like, I just think we should do this. If I said something like that, if I said, oh, Helen, I just know this is the right thing to do, or we should... I don't understand why we're not doing this thing. Or we've got to get this done this week. Helen might be at the other end of a phone or of a Zoom call, thinking, "Well, I don't think we do have to do this this week. I think we've got our priorities in the right or wrong order." Or I actually don't think we should approach it in that way. I've got a different point of view, but I'm not giving her any opportunity to share that to share her perspective. And so if you can be more open, so go from kind of closed to open language and always try to encourage people and give people space to make their contributions, a bit like Helen just talked about. So that can sound a bit like, how might we? So you might say, oh, Helen, we want to launch this project. How might we go about doing this? Or how might we go about achieving a certain objective? So you might have an idea in mind, but actually you're giving everybody the opportunity to give their point of view and to give their ideas.
2: I think that links really well as well to our fourth tip, which is about if you're sharing your opinion about something at work, so how a project should be done or how, you know, a thought you've got that's relevant to the meeting that you're in, show your working. And what I mean by that is, talk about how you got to that opinion. So if I taste to Sarah, oh, I don't think we should do this thing anymore. And I leave that as a full stop, then Sarah will fill in the blanks. And this happens more virtually and go, well, maybe Helen never wanted to do that thing. Or maybe she doesn't think it's important. Or maybe she doesn't value the, all the work that I've put into it, whatever it is. But if you show your working, if I say, oh, I don't think we should do this project anymore, I think we should press pause on it. Because x y and z that's what's got to that my conclusion sarah has more insight the person that you're that you might have potentially some disagreement with understands your working now it doesn't mean they're going to agree with it but it means you can have a more constructive conversation where there's less ambiguity and it's that ambiguity you know when we talked about earlier how distance can contribute to disagreements it's that ambiguity and blank filling that people might do that's not very helpful
0: And finally, and I think this is particularly important at the moment, just think about how to disagree using the right technology or the right platform, I guess. So is it okay to disagree on messaging? So if you're using like WhatsApp or using something like Slack or Microsoft Teams, is it something that you need to do on the phone? And actually, is it useful for it to be on the phone? Maybe you've got a good relationship with the person already, you don't need to see them. Is it one-to-one communication? Is it kind of one-to-many? Are you kind of as part of a team or is it more of a kind of discussion And I just think think about beforehand, like where is the right place to have that disagreement? Often, I think certainly when Helen and I get it wrong, it's because sometimes I think you default to the communications that work for you the majority of the time. So we use a lot of WhatsApp, but I don't think for us WhatsApp is the best place for us to disagree. And certainly I think we find that is like we get into like a spiral of just thinking, oh, what about this and what about that? Whereas actually, it probably could be better resolved and be a much more efficient use of time if we picked up the phone for 10 minutes. And we can pick up the phone and we don't need to see each other in person because we know each other really well. Let's say I was working with somebody, another organisation that I didn't know very well and I felt like they got a different point of view on some training, say, we wanted to do. I would probably think, okay, well, I probably do want to do it on video conference because I think it'd be good for them to at least be able to see me from a distance And I might think beforehand about the questions that I want to ask so that I do it in a really open way and don't assume the outcome. I think sometimes we, all of our communications are kind of, we have all of our assumptions and our preconceptions in mind about what we want to try and achieve. And then it's easy to kind of forget to be open or forget to listen. So, you know, sometimes it's easier said than done because I think when you know maybe something's going to be difficult, you can plan a bit more and you can think about it. But sometimes you don't know this is going to happen. And at that point, I think it's about spotting it and having the confidence to say oh actually would this be better discussed in our team meeting or shall we all go away and kind of have a think about this and shall we have a chat in a couple of days time that can be really critical and can save conversations going on for too long but also then potentially getting to the point where you could things get a bit too personal or it doesn't it's not a good use of people's time it's easy to say and I appreciate kind of really hard to do especially if you're someone like me and you, you do find disagreeing hard and sometimes I think it's easier to avoid it than to embrace it
2: we're now going to move on to my conversation with Amy and as I said earlier yeah this just got squeezed in uh, before lockdown Amy what happened to be in the UK she's based over in the US what I really like about Amy's work is she's very very practical and hopefully you find this conversation about conflict and how you can deal with conflict more broadly Broadly at work, a really kind of practical addition to the conversation that we've just had with each other about kind of that virtual element of it.
1: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I don't know about you, but no one ever told me in elementary school, high school, college, here's how you have a fight. Right. These are not skills that we are taught. We're taught not to have fights. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, we we observe conflict as a negative thing. It's something to be brushed under the rug or it's something that, are, if you look at our current political climate in either of our countries, right, it's something that's explosive and divisive. So we aren't given the skills or the frameworks to actually have productive conflict. Especially for women, what we know from research is that the skills you need in order to have productive conflict, to be assertive, to stand your ground, to be confident, are things that women tend to be penalized when they display. We call this the double bind mm. in, in research. So women are socialized to avoid conflict because it's not
2: aligned with gender Norms. So the perceptions of a man engaging in conflict versus the perception of a woman engaging in conflict has more negative connotations for the woman.
1: That's exactly right. And
2: research around salary
1: negotiation is perfect. There's a woman named Hannah Riley Bowles, who's at Harvard Kennedy School, or Debbie Kolb Research at Babson. They both look at what happens when women negotiate their salaries. And what they see is that men and women on the receiving end of the negotiation – report being less likely to want to work with that woman. Really? Yes. Whereas men, there's little to no effect. So we know that people don't really expect women to negotiate, advocate for themselves, have a difficult conversation. Therefore, many of us tend to shy away from it.
2: And what do you think is the benefit for people who are able to get around it, women or men, who are able just to productively engage in constructive conflict, if that's the kind of term that we can use? Yep. And What do you think are the benefits for people in their careers if they're able to do that?
1: Well, it is a career-defining skill in many ways, because think about it, there's no such thing as a conflict-free office. I You've worked many places. I can't imagine any of those places did not have difficult conversations, did not have conflicts, right? They are going to happen. And the people who can bring different perspectives together, can navigate those conversations, can advocate for themselves, for their teams, can facilitate constructive discussions, those are the people who often go far in organizations. Very rarely, although it does happen, does someone get to the top of an organization by being afraid of conflict. Mm. So for personally, it's really a career-defining skill. There's also a lot of positive benefits Personally, for you as a person, but also for your organization, you're going to get better work outcomes, you're going to get innovation, probably heard the term creative friction, Mm. right? When you can when you have conflict over how a project should be carried out, what the vision for the project is, you're likely to make it better and more innovative. For you personally, if you can... Get through a conversation with someone that's difficult and get to the other side. We know from research that you tend to have a stronger relationship. Mm. You also tend to grow as a person. I was actually reading a parenting book. What the author was saying was that the ability to have a fight, be very emotional, because that's what most of us do when we have a fight, and then go back to the discussion with someone when you feel safe with them— and reflect on it, say what you regret, say what you stand by, that actually builds emotional intelligence because you're using the upper part of your brain for the reflection, self-awareness, and the lower part of your brain for the emotional. And when you can make the connections between those, it builds emotional intelligence.
2: That's really interesting. So you can actually turn a situation around. So let's say I'm having a conflict situation with you, Amy. We're disagreeing and there's some emotion and I'm like, oh, I just don't understand your perspective on this and the meeting ends there. I can still turn that into a beneficial conversation if I reflect on it and say, Amy, can we just catch up? I've reflected on this. I want to talk about my, the way I responded and get your perspective on it and understand you know, how we do it differently. You can almost save a situation even when it's felt like a high conflict moment. Yes, absolutely. And that is... Not only should you return to those conversations
1: where you don't feel proud of how you handled it, you should give the other person an opportunity to do the same. Mm. So you might have a difficult conversation where you feel good about how it went, but the other person maybe yelled, maybe said some things they regret. Come back and say, do we need to talk about that? Anything else we should discuss? Because it's not only a relationship builder, but it does grow your own mindset and your own attitude toward Conflict Mm. and and it it really I take this from parenting advice, but it's true for workplace that too often we let things stand we think well we had that conversation it didn't go well this is where we are but you should always readdress it builds self-awareness it builds Mm. bonds between people it's just a smart way to not let things lie in an uncomfortable or negative way
2: I think it's also really healthy for people to talk about conflict and it's something that we're all we all have conflict conversations sometimes we have conflict at home sometimes we have conflict at work and that it's not For example, with Sarah, it's not just Sarah who finds it difficult. It's lots of people who find it difficult. And different situations will trigger different confidence or conflict gremlins, maybe. Sure. And one of the things I thought was really interesting in the book, because I thought, oh, I'm not sure either of these is right, is some people, I think you talked about the tendencies of how people respond to conflict. And some people are conflict avoiders. Mm -hmm. And some people are conflict seekers. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, I'm not sure either of those is a good thing.
1: Yeah, you know, it's the... Well, neither is better or worse. Mm. It's it's more what your default is. And they sort of track to that fight or flight, right? So I know you say Sarah is, sounds like she's a, a flight. It sounds like you might be a bit of a fight. Maybe. Um, yeah, that, that's where I go. That's where I fall down to, which is probably why I wrote a book on conflict. Um, so neither is the right reaction. It's just our natural tendency, what we do when we're under that stress response I was talking about. Mm. And if you understand what your natural response is, you can then... And hopefully go through a thought process to help you make a more thoughtful decision about how I want to react. Rather than an emotional response, you're making a conscious, thoughtful response about this is the best way to handle it. Sometimes avoiding the conflict... Sarah will love to hear this, is the best thing to do, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes doing nothing is a great way to handle it, but it can't be because you're afraid
2: or because that's what you always do. It has to be what's best for that situation. And how would you say about dealing, because I know this is something I've had before, and I'm sure it's something people listening will have had, extreme conflict seekers. Mm -hmm. You you know, whether it's a colleague or a manager that just seems to want to, like, get into it. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to debate everything. and, And even as somebody who... I quite like engaging in conflict because I quite like hearing different people's perspectives and finding the bits in the middle where we can agree. I quite like it. But when it's extreme, I just disengage with those people and I I sort of default to, I think, an avoider. And are there any things from the research that you think those people that are extreme conflict seekers that people can do to respond to it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things. One, with any extreme style, try to have a little compassion for why they might be doing that. So it's easy to think for someone who's an extreme seeker, which I often think of as a bully or, mm. or someone who wants to bulldoze, right? Is it's not really about you. It's probably about the values they hold sacred. For example honesty and directness that's probably something they care a lot about so their efforts to dig into a discussion to really get in there is probably not about wanting to make you look small or make you feel bad though I will admit there are those people
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but it's probably something about what they care about so I would have a little sympathy for them I would also help them develop depending on how much of a relationship with them you have develop a sense of self-awareness so in a calm moment not when they're yelling not when they raised their voice in a meeting, you can say, you know, when you really dig into these fights, it makes me want to disengage. And I don't think that's what you want. I think you want us to be able to have a healthy debate. It would help me if you t- calm the tone down a little bit. Again, you have to have a strong relationship with someone to give them that feedback, mm. but they likely don't know the impact they're having on the conversation mm. um, and on the group. And it's p-
2: likely not the outcome that they want. So, Give them a little feedback if you feel comfortable doing mm. that. I think the, we sometimes talk about like, the difference in the gaps between intent and impact and being able to say, like, I think you intend for this to be a way that we can all share different ideas. But the impact is it closes me down. It's just a useful way of people engaging in what might feel like a, I think any situation where someone's giving someone feedback and they're worried about how they might respond can feel like a difficult conversation because it feels like they might be inviting conflict exactly Um, so I I sometimes think those frameworks or the phrases that you can draw a bit of confidence on can really yes. help you help yes. you in the moment.
1: Yeah, indeed. And I and I, I think I love the intent versus impact. I've actually heard it said that you're the master of your intent and others are the master of your impact. Mm. So and sharing that, I you know, you always want to say, I know your intention isn't to shut the conversation down, but when you get really excited and, and talk loudly, other people don't feel like they can chime in. And I know that's not the impact you want to have. Right. Mm. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Don't accuse people of being bullies or of shutting down if they're an extreme uh, avoider, for example, they probably don't intend
2: to have the impact that they're having. Mm. It makes me think about, we talk quite a lot about psychological safety, Amy Edmondson's work. One of those seven dimensions is the ability to have tough conversations. And I think to have tough conversations, being able to understand people's preferences and the impact on that as a team of conflict or or kind of debate type conversations would really help people to understand and empathize because what might be tough for you might be very different than what is tough for Sarah Mm -hmm. and there's some understanding that needs to be reached in order to do that in a supportive way in the team.
1: Yeah, there's a great HBR article called How to Preempt Team Conflict. Um, I don't love the preempt because I don't like the idea that you're trying to get rid of it but I don't think that's really the author's intention. It's actually a series. I think it's five conversations that a new team can have about their work styles. It's a great article because there's a list of questions as well for each of the conversations and they can be facilitated or a leader can run the the conversation, but it's a way for people to get to know one another's styles. A lot of it is about a clash of working styles. And that can be as simple as I show up to meetings on time and you always show up five minutes late. So we start every meeting with me resenting you, right? And so then everything goes sour the minute we start talking. And those are very simple things. If we just discussed ahead of time, are we going to be on time? If you're running late, can I not take it as a sign of disrespect, right? Is it the fact that you just have a busy schedule or your assistant overschedules you, right? What is it that we can agree on is going to be our working norms Mm -hmm. and it helps me develop a little bit compassion for when you show up and I'm not really into what you've decided to do or yeah. your style,
2: right? Something that helps me, and in case it helps anyone else, is I sometimes think that, and I've had to work on this really, really hard, but I try to be intrigued over being irritated.
1: Mm, <laughs> I like that, yes, yes. And, and
2: I still get irritated, but rather than go, oh, it's so annoying, or "This is, why are we doing this? I try to go, okay, that's your trigger. You're a bit irritated by this person in the situation. Yeah like flip really quickly to being intrigued and maybe ask some questions what's happening at the moment is there something that you, you know you need to talk about before we get onto this topic yeah. and just I've generally found that that's brought the person back to me
1: mm. in some
2: way like on some kind of level that we can move forward productively so yeah I would recommend that as a mindset and approach to kind of being intrigued over being irritated. Well and just being curious I mean yes. I
1: think if you can start any difficult conversation you sit down if you can start with a question a genuine question, right? Something you don't know that you want to know about the situation or the other person. It just sets the tone that I'm not going to just, you know, monologue here. I'm not going to bulldoze my opinion through I'm gonna actually engage in a conversation and it engages the other person so they have to show up to the table so if mm. you're dealing with an extreme avoider asking a question helps them hook into the conversation in a way. Mm.
2: Yeah. Are there any other top tips that you have for how conflict can be really productive in mm. the workplace? Yeah
1: I think one of the things we often forget and I say this as a seeker who spent most of my adult life trying entering these conversations trying to prove I was right, which is an incredibly rewarding thing when it happens, um, but not a great way to have productive conversations. So I think one of my top tips is to think about what is your goal? What is it you're actually trying to achieve in this conversation? Is it that you need a strong working relationship with your boss who you're having the conflict with? Is it that you need to this project to just get done mm. or get on, done on time or get done within budget? Or is it that you just want to get out of this conversation so you can calm down and come back later and have a better conversation If you think about what is my goal, and if your goal is a shared goal with the other person, you get bonus points because Mm. that's a great place, a foundation from which to have a conversation. So that's one of the things I often ask myself as someone who sort of leaps into these conversations, eager, sometimes guns a-blazing, right? I try to think, what am I actually trying to achieve here? What is it that I need? Mm. And usually
2: it means that I have to put down the need to be right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think I might sometimes... If I've got a conversation that I'm nervous about and I'm reflecting on one that I've had in the past, <laughs> I think I almost go into it and expecting it to be a conflict conversation. And therefore, I've, I bet that frames how I approach it, because it was almost like the outcome that I've gone in is that there's going to be conflict. Yes. And so I'm expecting it and yeah. I'm, I'm maybe seeing it in your responses to me that this is all feeding into this is going to be a whole. Whereas if I think oh, my, my outcome was that we find a better way to talk to our stakeholders about this particular project. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Or again, curious, what do I have to learn from this conversation? What, mm. you know? If I came into this room today thinking, oh my God, I don't want to do this podcast, like I you would know that. that I did not. <laughs> Obviously, I did not think that. But you would know that immediately. You would know that from my body language. You would pick that up from my energy. Mm. The same if you're going into a difficult conversation going, oh God, I can't wait to get this over with, that other person's going to pick up on it and, mm. and is going to mirror that behavior. Things are going to likely spiral downward. If you go in thinking, I'm excited to have this conversation, that takes a little Jedi mind trick sometimes, because yeah. you may not yeah. be, or I have so much to learn about this, or I'm excited to get to the other side of this, you know, psyching yourself up for the conversation and asking yourself, what don't I know? Mm. What can I learn?
2: How am I, how is this going to make me better mm. at handling at my job or at handling difficult conversations? I mean, in, independent of the topic of conflict, what don't I know and how is this going to make me better Or amazing questions for us to be yes. asking on yeah. a sort of daily basis. I think about, I'm going to take those with me for the rest yeah. of my day. Like, what
1: I know? Yeah. Um, you know, your tip about being um, intrigued instead of irritated also makes me think, not only should you be asking the other person a question, but you should also be asking yourself why am I having this reaction? Because I think that self-awareness just is so helpful as you try to get better and better at these things. And if you can say, if you notice, oh, this is a trigger for me, why is this a trigger for me? What is this bringing up for me? Mm. It can be inc- I'm married to a therapist, so you- <laughs> this is all coming from psychotherapy. But that self-awareness is so helpful in these conversations. <laughs>
0: So we hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode slightly different to usual so a bit of Helen and I giving our perspective and then such an interesting conversation that Helen had with Amy that I think is very useful and relevant whether you're somebody who's good at disagreeing and can now get even better or if you're someone like me and you're still kind of learning how to make it work and to stop avoiding it if there are any topics that are really important to you right now and that you'd like us to cover on the podcast, please email us at getintouchatamazingif.com. We really want to make sure that we are talking about the hard things, the things you need help with. We've obviously got 100 and over 140 episodes now, but we are mindful that this is a really different and a really tough time for lots of us at work. So we want to make sure that we are doing what's most useful. Don't forget that later this week, our Ask the Expert podcast interview will be live and Helen speaking to Simon Sinek about the importance of purpose in work and your career. So that'll be fascinating. I I can't wait to hear that. And next week's episode is on emotional intelligence. So thanks so much for listening and we'll speak to you again soon. Bye for now. Bye, everyone.